You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hi, this is Janet Willis. I've had six podcasts on the subject of New Jerusalem so far, and before I continue with that, I thought I ought to share my background and the motivation behind my interest in God's city. My hunger to learn about New Jerusalem was born out of adversity. I've shared this publicly in the past, but some of these details I've only begun to share more recently. I'll share truths from God's Word that helped me, and hopefully they might be a help to you. My purpose is to show the compassion and wisdom of God in preparing us for the future. In 1994, my life was full. My oldest three children were married and out of the home, but I had the joy and privilege of homeschooling our youngest six. Ben was 13, Joe 11, Sam 9, Hank 6, Elizabeth three and a half, and new little Peter was six weeks old. I loved being a mom. But on November 8th of that year, my husband Scott and I were in an accident. In a matter of seconds, our lives were permanently transformed. We were traveling on I-94, just south of Milwaukee, in our van with our youngest six children, when we hit a piece of road debris. The gas tank ruptured and exploded into our van. Instantly, we were surrounded by roaring flames. Scott tried to take the vehicle out of a slide, and he shouted, Get out of the van! I had to reach my hands directly into the flames between our bucket seats, undo my seat belt, and tumble out. Confused and terrified, I huddled to the ground right next to the van. Suddenly, someone patted my back and explained they were putting out flames. The person guided me away from the vehicle to the grassy area between the lanes of traffic. I looked back in horror. Our whole van was fully engulfed in flames. I fell to my knees, screaming, No! No! Suddenly, Scott was in front of me, grabbing my shoulders. He shouted, God has prepared us for this. Thoughts flew into my mind. What have I learned? This is not an accident. God is in control. God loves me. He loves my children. Yes, even right now. I shook my head and weakly said no one more time. Then Scott added, Janet, it was quick. They're with the Lord. I looked up. In the sky over Scott's head, just for a split second, I saw our children surrounded by brilliant white beings, a holy escort. Joe had an expression of joy and awe on his face. I'll never forget it. I didn't see what he saw, but I won't forget that look on his face. My children were going to be with Jesus. They were going to be enjoying everything I could ever want for them. They were going to be happy. They were going to be safe. They were going to be good forever. How could I say no to that? Scott didn't think about what to say. The words just came out. But they were just the words I needed to hear. As we stood in the grassy area between the two lanes of traffic with our van in flames, ultimately, God had prepared us. 
As Scott and I were guided to separate ambulances, Scott called over to me, Janet, Psalm 34. I remember thinking, not scripture, not now, but I quickly realized, of course, scripture. In the ambulance, as they wrapped my burned hands in gauze, I said through gritted teeth, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Then I remembered the words of Job. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I didn't feel like praising God, but I knew that was right. I remember saying, God, there's no way I can handle this. I give it all to you. You know, God was true to his promise. He was right there with us through the darkest valley. His grace was helping me. In the ambulance, as I battled severe pain with my hands completely bandaged up, Bible verses came to me that I had memorized. His word was like a rock, a solid foundation in the midst of the storm. While in the hospital, I didn't think much more about what I saw in the sky. I assumed in the midst of severe trauma, maybe it was just my imagination. Back home, after 11 days in the hospital, I woke in the middle of the night. I remembered that at the accident scene, when I looked up, I saw Sam, Hank, and Elizabeth, and Joe holding baby Pete. Ben wasn't with them. And then I remembered that right after I saw that, someone had called out to Scott and me, One of your kids got out! We ran to find Ben, our 13-year-old, on the ground with others around him, helping him. I remember saying to Ben, Ben, Mom and Dad are right here, and Jesus is too. I know, Mom, he said calmly. How are the others? Someone quickly said, They're okay. The thought came to Scott and me. They are okay. Ben was burned over 90% of his body, and though he was flown to the hospital, he didn't make it through the night. Now, here I was, at home in bed, and I realized why Ben wasn't with the others when I looked up in the sky. He was still alive. Joe was holding baby Pete. Suddenly, I understood that what I had seen in the sky was real. God, in his mercy and compassion, had helped me. I woke my husband and told him. He asked, why didn't you tell me till now? I explained how I doubted the reality of my experience, but now I knew it was real. I decided not to share this beyond our own immediate family for about 20 years. My reason was that the main help from the Lord was truly His Word. Not only at the accident scene, but even in the weeks that followed, with both hands bandaged, I couldn't pick up a Bible. I can't tell you how many times over and over verses that I had learned popped into my head, filling me with comfort and the knowledge that God in heaven was right there with me. I knew people tend to gravitate to experience and not to the anchor of the Bible, so I asked the family not to share it. But in the last few years, I was reading Jeremiah 23, where God talks about dreams and visions. God says, The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord.
Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer which shatters the rock? That's verses 28 and 29. Visions and dreams are like straw, and the Bible is the grain, our real food. It's an important difference that's worthy of discussion. Even Peter talked about his experience of seeing Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Then he compared his experience to the written word of God, and he said, We have a more sure word of prophecy. That's 2 Peter 1.19. I had the privilege to learn many truths from that more sure word. For 20 years prior to our accident, I had been learning the Bible. It all started when I was a teenager. God reached into my life and opened my eyes when I read a gospel tract. I already knew that Jesus suffered terribly and died for me, for my sins. But when I read the Bible verses about salvation, I repented of my sins and trusted Jesus as my Savior. Then God helped me grow as a Christian. I began to learn from the Bible the recorded history of people who had gone before. I learned through the suffering of Joseph in the Old Testament how God had reasons for suffering that are not understood until later. I learned from the example of Job and Esther. I learned about God's faithful presence in the midst of trials. And I learned about the wonderful eternity He had for me. I read more recent testimonies of believers Betsy and Corey Tenboom, in the midst of severe suffering in a concentration camp, got strength from reading a tiny Bible they had managed to hide. Scott read to our family a story of how prisoners of war shared scripture verses with one another by tapping them out on the wall in Morse code. Early in our Christian walk, churches we were in encouraged us to read our Bible and memorize scripture. Scott, later as a pastor, continued with that. As a church, we all recited Psalm 34 every Sunday for a year. Truly, God had wisely prepared me. After the loss of our children, as the quiet days, weeks, and years wore on, I had all kinds of time to read and study the Bible like never before. Prior to our accident, I already had a long view of life, but now things about heaven jumped off the page. Reading through the Bible over and over, I realized I spent about two-thirds of the time in the Old Testament. I discovered God had revealed so much more about our future with Him, more than I ever realized, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. Eventually, I started keeping detailed notes of what I was learning. But questions arose, particularly questions about the New Jerusalem. I got to thinking, if believers who die go to the Jerusalem above, like in Galatians 4 and Hebrews 12, where will they live when the Lord returns to this earth? Or how about this one? Why did Ezekiel in chapter 48-35 say the Lord would be in the millennial city of Jerusalem from that time on? For twelve years I studied this topic, my husband, a retired pastor, mentored and challenged me. He told me about William Tyndale, a Protestant reformer who spent his life working to make the Bible available to the common people. His response to a clergyman 
who was critical of him, has been famous ever since. Tyndale said, If God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. He eventually was sentenced to death on charges of heresy in 1536. His labor and sacrifice helped this plow girl to persevere. Scott showed me how to do inductive study and rightly divide the word of truth. He showed me how to use resources he had in his library. He encouraged me, reminding me that God was not trying to be difficult, but intended to communicate. Terry Mortensen says, Jesus indicates that the scriptures are essentially perspicuous, clear for the non-scholar to understand. Eleven times the gospel writers record him saying, Have you not read? And thirty times he defended his teaching by saying, It is written. He rebuked his listeners for not understanding and believing what the text plainly says. That's embracing Christ's view of scripture from Answers in Genesis. I learned good principles of hermeneutics, the five C's from Howard Hendricks, content, context, compare, culture, consult. I'll never forget when Scott pointed me to the tiny cross-references in the margin of my Bible, and subtly he said, they might be a help. I never noticed them before. I just needed to take the time to look them up. It's that third C compare. In other words, compare scripture with scripture, including all relevant passages. I learned to let related clear passages lead in interpreting difficult passages, trusting that God's word wouldn't contradict itself. And that last point was consult. I found when it came to the topic of New Jerusalem, there were many different interpretations. Randall Price says, even the best of prophecy scholars and experts disagree on how to interpret the biblical doctrine of the New Jerusalem. That's from his book titled Jerusalem and Prophecy. That made me want to dig more. It truly was a treasure hunt. Eventually, the results of this quest were unexpected. At first, I struggled with them. I found I had three assumptions I now believe were wrong, and that prevented me from connecting the dots. These assumptions concerned the size, the shape, and the timing of when the New Jerusalem would arrive. I saw how others were willing to rethink the issues of timing and shape, which opened up a whole realm of scriptures that had puzzled me. However, the real key was re-examining the issue of size, specifically the information given by John in the book of Revelation. It proved to be the missing puzzle piece. Countless other passages throughout the Bible now fell in place. The big picture became clear. Whole sections of the Old and New Testament now harmonized without being forced, without the need to allegorize, and without loose pieces that didn't fit. Information that God had taken the time to reveal to his prophets, when taken in their literal sense, made sense. I began this study with a focus of what my children might be experiencing. Adversity was the initial motivator, but gently and wisely, God changed my focus. As I learned more about what eternity is really going to be like, I gained a greater understanding of God's love and compassion. Ultimately, 
It's who God is that matters. Adversity will come in some form into everyone's life eventually. Years ago, when I was in Romania, I was told how Christians shared a saying with one another when they suffered great persecution and poverty under an oppressive dictator. They said, Every believer ought to have a chance to go to America at least once before they go to heaven, so the shock won't be so great. Many Americans don't realize the taste of heaven we enjoy. We don't hunger for heaven. We're not ready for adversity. For those who don't have that hunger, I pray this study of New Jerusalem would whet your appetite. For those who do have that hunger, I pray that God's promises would display His love for you. Now, lest my emphasis on the material aspects of the New Jerusalem make me lose sight of the one who makes it all possible, I like to keep in mind this scene. Thousands upon thousands of angels every single day actually get to see God's city, New Jerusalem. Ironically, while I might be here on earth studying to understand what they see, they might be using their free time to study all about the marvelous truths of the great salvation given to us by God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's from 1 Peter 1.12. Over the years, as I delved deeper into the scriptures, I'm deeply grateful to all those who have helped me along the way. And I thank the Lord Jesus for all that he has graciously revealed through his word, the Bible. He wisely prepares us for whatever lies ahead. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 